Welcome to the Faith Forward podcast series. Faith Forward is a grassroots network dedicated to bringing together leaders of ministry with children, youth, and families for collaboration, resourcing, and inspiration toward innovative theology and practice. Through this series, we'll learn from creative, forward-thinking leaders who are pushing the boundaries and reimagining what it means to follow Jesus' way of love and justice today. Join us as we instigate a revolution of hope in our world. In this second special episode of the Faith Forward podcast, we bring you the second part of a conversation about ministry with children, youth, and families during and on the other side of the COVID-19 pandemic. This panel was convened as part of a series hosted by Atlantic School of Theology and was recorded just over one year into the pandemic. Our panelists were Mary Nichol, who's the Regional Minister for First Third Ministries with the Pacific Mountain Region of the United Church of Canada, Stephen Argue, who is Associate Professor of Youth, Family, and Culture at Fuller Theological Seminary, and he's also author of several books, including Sticky Faith Innovation, and Tracy Smith. She's pastor of Elmhurst Presbyterian Church in the Chicagoland area, and she is the author of many resources, including Faithful Families, Creating Sacred Moments at Home. This podcast episode features the second half of this conversation, which we titled Leaving No One Behind, Pandemic Era Ministry with Children, Youth, and Families. Mary, I want to uh, jump to you for a minute and, and ask you, I, I know you work with, um, you know, with First Third Ministries, you you work with um, people who are, uh, you know, ministering as, as pastors and as, as ordained and lay people with children, youth, and families. Um, what advice would you give to uh, lay, leaders, lay and ordained, um, who want to use this pandemic as an opportunity to do ministry better on the other side of it? Mm. I was just thinking as, as Steve and Tracy were sharing about going back to what used to be and what we were do- doing pre-pandemic. And, and so, you know, pausing, and hopefully we can have time to pause to not necessarily go back to exactly what we were doing. We're in a new place. So when we can be together, what does it look like um, to really listen to to the young people, to the families, and to going back to being in person? And what, how are we doing that differently? Um, and being attentive and staying in tune to to what people are saying to the young people. I was thinking in particular um, for my context. We have over the past 15 years gathered once a year with the children's retreat. So. 108 to 11 year olds, you know, 15 teenagers who are leaders in training, and like 30 or 40 adults who are um, lay leaders, um, ordained clergy, children, youth, family ministers, and some parents. Um, So to go back to that, yay, we haven't been able to do that. But but like you said, Tracy and and Dave, there's there's going to be the eight year olds who may have never been. And so how are we going to be doing that coming together in community? Um, and, and really paying attention to, to where is God in all of this, in this new way. So just listening, really carefully listening and careful about how we go about being in person together again. 
Tracy, Steve, just just briefly, and then um, for everyone listening uh, and, and watching, please uh, add your questions to the chat. We're going to get to them really uh, quickly or really soon. Um, but uh, Tracy and Steve, any any uh, advice that you would have to, to people um, wanting to do things differently once this is largely behind us? Mm. Go ahead, Steve. Mary gave such a good answer. I, um, mm. I, I, I think... Uh, I think I would just say again, I, I think we just can't assume that we're going back to the way things were. I, I don't think we can. I don't think we actually want to. I, I actually think that um, the good old days aren't as good as we think they are. Um, and I think we bring the best of perhaps there and we um, and we try to, um, to bring that forward. I, I think, uh, I'll be really honest with you. I, I just think that the pandemic has put so much more pressure on ministry leaders than they um, they already have a full plates. Um, maybe go back to something Mary said away at the beginning. I think just to be gentle with yourselves. Mm-hmm. I think there's something deeply um, honoring to God to name our limitations and to teach our communities that we can't do it all. That's not something that our communities should think that we can do. And um, I, I think to say I can't or I'm tired or I need help um, is, is a beautiful moment for the church as a community to step up and try to solve what's next together rather than looking to one or two people to, to fix it again. And that's, a, that's an act of humility. I mean, I, I'm a professor now, but I've been a pastor. I'll be honest with you. I want to be the superhero. I want to meet every need. I want to say the right thing. I want to provide all the resources possible. Um, and it's embarrassing, honestly, when I can't, but that's my issue. Like, that's not right, you know? Uh, I can't. And so to say um, I'm not God and to teach my community that I have to rest as much as they do um, is, a, is a really, really important um, personal lesson and one that I think our communities uh, need to, to realize as well. So. Um, so I say that with deep respect and deep humility and uh, deep transparency that it's easier said than done, but I would love it if uh, leaders would take care of themselves and teach their congregations to do the same. Yeah, and I think there's always, it's like it, with this population, there's always the next the big thing that you're supposed to do, right? It's like, okay, there's Easter. And then after Easter, we're starting to do vacation Bible school in summer. And then after that, it's back to school. And it's, then we're trying to do Jesus is born again. Now he's about to die again. So it's like this constant cycle. And if you don't take time away or time to reimagine it, then you're just going to keep going and going and going. And I think all of said this like this is what we're seeing and I'm seeing it now there was a lot of disorientation at the very beginning but with ministry leaders it's like it's getting to very critical levels of serious like people are about to start leaving their positions leaving their call it's going to be that level of dramatic if if they there's not a break from it. And so now that people, and I think it, in the States and where I am, there's this weird thing that's happening where there are people, those who are getting vaccinated are some of the very people that were very limited in the beginning. So it's like, you know, s- some people are very anxious to like, 
quote unquote reopen or restart. So there's huge pressure now on ministry leaders who have been just trying to move heaven and earth to make everything happen yeah. in the pandemic. Now people, there's a lot of pressure. And I think to your point about not having to do it alone, I think that's a really huge, huge one. I have this story that I love to tell of one time when I put my phone on do not disturb. And then when I came back to it, there was two text messages from a leader. And the first one said, Pastor Tracy, where's the key to the whatever? And then the second text was, never mind, I found it. <laughs> and it was like, because of that time, and it just so happened, if I had been attending to my text messages, I certainly would have said, oh, it's over in the cabinet with the blah, 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 blah. So I think yeah. a great, I love that as a metaphor for if you do that, if you do the metaphorical, put it on, do not disturb for however long you choose, then people, they will find the keys. They'll go looking for them and then it will be, never mind, I found it. And almost, there's almost a, it's a delicate balance, but there is a magic that happens sometimes when people are, you know, kind of forced to figure things out and, and we realize, oh, we can step back. Um, yeah. I, I love that. And, and you said the word anxious, which is interesting, right? So um, we know from learning theory and from formation theory that like this space of disequilibrium, nobody likes to stay in it. As a matter of fact, they can't, they have to do something. And you've got some in your congregation that just want to move forward and get on with it because they don't want to mm -hmm. sit in the disequilibrium and others are more cautious. Like they're not ready to go there yet. Right. And so you have everybody in our congregation trying to make sense of the moment. And if they come to you, a lot of times um, they're just, you're actually a safe place for them to express how they're feeling. Mm -hmm. They may not even be wanting you to solve the problem, but they don't mm -hmm. know where else to go. So that's a compliment to you. And at the same time, I think our instinct as Tracy could say, would be to think that we have to somehow solve their this this uh, equilibrium that they're that they're working through, and so there's a real art here that I think we have to think about um, as as leaders as we move forward. So before we all metaphorically or literally go into do not disturb mode, um, we I, I do want to get some keys from all of you uh, based on the questions that have been coming up in our chat, uh, and so I, I want to start with um, one from Sarah. Uh, and she says, uh, this is based on the, the discussion we were having about uh, parents and whether or not that, you know, the, the idea of them being the primary stewards of their children's faith or if they're mm -hmm. not. And essentially her question is, how do we engage others to participate in that journey with the kids? What suggestions do you have? I would say, it, you know, you can do like uh, bringing everyone along. And I think we have to model and normalize that parents maybe don't know the stories or don't know the thing, right? So if it's Pentecost, we should not assume that parents know what that is and what it, what it's about. So if we can all do things together, I think if my family's doing this thing called a thousand hours outside and it's not, it's not Christian or religious in any way, but it's a community of people that are trying to get outside with their kids and you just track your hours outside. And it's not for kids or for adults, it's for everybody, right? So if we're saying like, okay, we want to develop this faith practice of gratitude, it's not mom and dad, teach your children about this. It's like, think of three things every day we're thankful for, and we're going to all practice it together. And to be, um, to, to normalize 
not knowing and normalize that we're all learning together. That would be my biggest takeaway, I think. Mm -hmm. Amazing, yeah. Uh, I would totally agree with that. I think what we found with some of our research with parents of teenagers and emerging adults um, uh, in our work that we uh, did called uh, Growing With, um, we found that parents are pretty honest in saying, look, the older our kids get, it actually moves into a competition. Like if I actually ask for help with my teenage kid, it looks like I've failed. So when mm-hmm. kid, when parents are younger with their kids, they're like, hey, well, how do you change a diaper? Like, I think, I'm not sure my kid's sleeping. Help me, help me, help me. But as we get older, there's this isolating effect that goes on. So I love what Tracy's saying. I just think that maybe one of the things that we can do is really encourage parents to find each other with kids the same ages and recognize the fact that they're not as weird as they think they are because parents think they're all like weird, like they're wrong and messed up because that's what society tells them, right? Um, so I think that would be really helpful. And then I think the other thing I tell parents all the time is just to try. Like, I, I think we're so afraid of doing the wrong thing rather than just trying something. Mm-hmm. And I think what it's only through trying that you really begin to think about it. I mentioned it earlier, but I think this metaphor of a language of faith is really interesting, right? Like a foreign language, like the only way you learn how to speak a language is to practice it. And then it becomes more fluent and then it becomes um, more porous in your conversations. If it's always reserved for a formal time, then it always takes on a formality that doesn't seem part Mm -hmm. of of, of life, right? So I think any way that you can kind of lean into that and encourage parents to do that can be really, really helpful. Stephen, did you mean that parents think that they're weird or they think that their kids are weird or both? Oh, oh little, well, a little bit of both. Um, <laughs> I think they think like their kid is the only one that's going through a hard time. Uh, so that's a great clarifying question. But also uh, I think a parent just thinks I'm failing. I, I'm not living up to, you know, what the Zydeca say I'm supposed to be doing and, and et cetera, et cetera. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think there's a normalizing effect that has to happen where um, you know, most parents and families are going through some similar things and they can really be resources to each other rather than thinking that it's a competition, which is a, a big problem, especially in the States. Yeah, that's a really good point. I know a lot of churches that have like study groups or support groups for parents of young children, but I don't know if I know if many, do you have any, what, what do you want the parents to read together? Sticky Faith Innovations, that'd be a good one. Uh, Well, no, I mean, thank you. That was a nice lob. Um, Growing With is a book that we wrote for parents of uh, teenagers and emerging adults. So that's 13 to 29. So there's uh, a lot of my work is with emerging adulthood. And what we're finding is that the the journey through the 20s is is taking on new forms. The relationships that 20-somethings have, even with their families and parents, is taking on uh, new forms as well. And so there's some new questions that parents are raising about that. So... um, uh, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, and there's, uh, uh, you maybe have heard of Orange, they've got some curriculum as well for really children through um, Kara Powell and I, my colleague, emerging uh, um, adulthood as well, but you kind of have developmentally through all the, um, uh, the different ages as well that could be helpful. So I think any sort of traction like that can be, uh, could be really good. I, I want to uh, ask, a, this is a, a comment from Catherine that I think is worth responding to. Um, she says, most of the children I'm encountering, their parents are struggling because it's the grandparents who have been taking them to in-person church. Um, so faith at home is hard because they're not familiar with a lot of what we're offering to their kids. Uh, mm-hmm. Mary, I wonder if you can uh, respond to that for us. Yes. Not to that... put you on the spot, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Thanks. <laughs> That, that sounds familiar, and um, I've heard that as well. 
and and then so I, I think that what I've seen um, for um, our work in the region, we've been working on safe at home um, resources to put in the hands of, of leaders to then connect with their families. And they're using that. Uh, so we're thinking of that and we're, when we're creating, we're thinking of a, an environment, I think like Tracy said, and, and Steve, where there's mm -hmm. the language isn't there. So we've got a um, parents and grandparents and the parents don't have any of the concepts of being in relationship in person. And so thinking about um, what is the language and unpacking stories unpacking some trigger words that, you know, for reasons why um, the parents have never set foot in, in a um, congregation. So um, during specific seasons, what are some of the trigger words that we want to unpack um, for the adults and the resources we're handing uh, to the grandparents who are then sharing with their families? Um, that's one thing that comes to mind. Yeah, that, and, and I'm glad you picked up again on this idea of, of almost learning faith or, or developing as faithful people, almost like we're developing um, as linguists or as, as people who use language. Um, when, you know, when you're learning a second, third, fourth language, it is embarrassing to start using it publicly in front of other people. That's why, you know, these language apps are taking off because it's just you and a, a computer, or at least that's what we're told. It's just us and the computer. Um, but, you know, that's the thing is we, and, and maybe that's what we need to do as faith leaders is be modeling falling flat on our face uh, in terms of our own faith, um, you know, and, and modeling what it looks like to, to, to not be perfect, um, even if we get to wear a collar on Sundays. So especially if we get so. to wear special collars on Sundays. I think sharing the stories of, of you know, failure, quote unquote, or just real life is a huge one. I, when you were talking about having your foot where you have your foot either kind of more in children or youth, I'm kind of more in the children's side. And I wonder if I'll like pivot as my kids get older and when they're teenagers, I'll suddenly be more interested in what's going on with teens. But I love telling stories. I, and I love hearing stories of people taking some of my ideas and having it just go horribly. Or like when I'm at the dinner table and I say, well, what's everybody grateful for? And my kids are like my butt, you know, it's like, oh gosh, you know? And so I'm like, please, can you do better? You know, but to tell these stories, I love your analogy with language, I think is really good. And then I think to Stephen's point a few minutes ago about thinking that you know things that we don't know. Like maybe we think we know why those parents aren't going to church, but maybe we don't. <laughs> like maybe it's not the reason that we think. And so to be able kind of have be a safe space for people to share uh, what what they how they feel about church and I think the pandemic definitely taught us that we're not tied to our building didn't it right you mm -hmm. know pre-pandemic I was like okay what are we gonna renovate in here and paint and what are we gonna change and then during the pandemic it's like do we even need this place <laughs> you know like <laughs> So uh, I want to jump in. We're, we're running out of time. I want to jump in because there's one, uh, one more question I, I want to get to from Henry. Um, what are some ways that we can help our children and families maintain solidarity with those who will continue to face inequities post-pandemic? A huge question. So don't everyone jump in uh, at once. I'll, <laughs> I'll uh, invite any of any of the three of you to respond. I mean, I'm an extrovert. I'm a seven. Can you tell on the Enneagram? So yeah. that always will jump in. But I think, um, you know, how 
days when we're so isolated. I think that's what's huge, right? How to make connections with people that uh, are neighbors, right? How do we make connections with our neighbors that are suffering? I think that's the, the first step, at least what I would throw out there. You know, how do you, if in a safe way, get to know your neighbors and what the challenges are and start, I think starting as locally as you can, right, is the best way to go so that you, you know, who is my neighbor, maybe your actual neighbor. Yeah, thanks. I think kids and teenagers see inequity much more than adults do. And I think if we can, rather than teach them to not talk about it, to actually maybe lean into their questions. Mm -hmm. um, I think we can all, I think this is the place where maybe young people can be the prophetic voice in our communities. Yes. Um, and um, so I think that comes in a lot of ways, talking about the news, there's plenty of, plenty of things in the news, uh, reading biographies of people um, different than us, um, you know, and, you know, as Tracy said, I think getting to know our neighbors, I think, I think that's a great place to start. I, I think gone are the days of us thinking that we have to travel some long distances to go have an, an like a, a different cultural experience. I mean, like it's right in front of us, like every day, like, you know, I think there's a wonder that comes with that, that again, I think children's and youth ministry um, are good at. And so I think for us to tap into that would, would be great. Agreed. I was thinking, uh, Steve, I agree that our young people in my own household are teaching me. And so what are the adults learning and intentionally learning so that we can have the language to ask questions and then have the conversations. And so our own learning, because we know our, our children are, yeah, my young adults that are in the house uh, know things before I do. And I'm just trying to catch up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Oh my gosh, all the time. Oh. Well, thanks everyone. Um, we are, are almost out of time. We made it well past 19 minutes with so many people sticking around. Uh, so yay, everyone, for staying bad with us statistics. and being part of this. Thanks for tuning in to the Faith Forward podcast series. If you want to learn more from creative thinkers and innovative leaders, be sure to subscribe or visit faith-forward.net.